We're here today, uh, I mean, with Katie O'Grady. Katie owns Elcove Productions, LLC. Her first feature film, Rid of Me, premiered in New York at the Tribeca Film Festival and received the New York Times Critics Pick of the Week. And she went on to sell it to Showtime, Amazon, and Netflix. Katie's second feature, Undeserved, is a faith-based feature film that won critical awards at the International Christian Film Festival, as well as many other festivals. And she's a 20-year veteran in the acting community. Her highlights include Portlandia, Everything Sucks on Netflix, and one of my personal favorites, Grimm from NBC. She was listed on an Oscar watch list for Best Actress in 2011 and nominated for Best Comedic Actress by Women in Film alongside the greats like Melissa McCarthy, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kristen Wiig. Super impressive. Katie is the owner of Acting for Kids and Teens, the Northwest's premier acting studio. She also owns and operates the Studio Northwest in Portland, Oregon, and was recently featured in Shoot Magazine in 2019's up-and-coming director for her work on Nike's Behind the Design, a promo for Leica Studio. Leica. Leica. She has three screenplays completed and is currently directing the play Tigers Be Still. Wow. So <laughs> I, like I am you say all that put together. In, <laughs> awe. It's beautiful. So thank oh, you for thank coming. You. Um, so thank you for having me here. I mean that. Thank you so much. Oh, it's, yeah. it is. It's truly my pleasure. This is so much fun for me. And I love your passion um, for the art of acting and your um, not only your commitment to it, but your desire to try to give back. You know, we mentioned your organization to help teens and yeah. we talked a little bit about that. But um isn't it a bit unusual to center an acting career in Portland, Oregon? I think of it like L.A., New York. Well, I oh, do, too. Yeah. <laughs> what? I think most of us living here think of that in L.A. or New York. But we move here because of the beauty and the opportunity to like really live a beautiful, balanced life. A lot of us are very centered with the outdoors, with nature, you know, hiking, river walks. Um, I have a cabin on the river. I want to raise my kids in this place with just good community, good people, good food. So you kind of make that's that choice. Yeah. Good food. That's yeah. enough said for me. Right? <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah. We're known for it. Oh, I love coming to Portland to eat my way through. Yes. Okay. So how did you get the acting bug? So was this something that you was your plan from the onset or how did, how did that emerge in you? Oh, yes. Yes. Since, since I came out of the womb. Definitely going to be acting? in the business somewhere. From Absolutely. day one? Yes. But, you know, I lived in a little small town, Medford, Oregon. Like, I think now it's home of 60,000. So it was tiny back then. And um, there weren't a lot of opportunities. So I just got really lucky to have a super creative dad and a mom who, you know, had a really uh, smart business mind on how to get where you want to go. And that combination, I think, really helped propel me into sticking with what I believed in, what I wanted, but then also make a plan for it, figure out how to get there. Yeah. And so I, I just got really lucky being able to, like, embrace imagination growing up. So assuming that, um, you know, you said you were – you from Medford. I believe you had told me when we spoke earlier that you were, are you fifth generation? Oh, yes, girl. Oh, yes. I'm fifth generation Oregonian. (laughs) My daughter is sixth generation. Ah. What's so funny is people who aren't from here, they say, I'm so tired of hearing people from Portland talk about what generation they are, but we're so proud of it, you know? I've never heard that. I think that's great. As somebody who moved all over the place, I think having that kind of roots, especially in a beautiful place like this, is amazing. Yeah, it doesn't mean we're not well-traveled or we don't get out, but, you know, it's just something to be really proud of. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, so um, I was, as you know, we spoke earlier um, before this, uh, the recording, because I wanted to get a little insight into your background. And 
um, I told you that I love to try to understand people's holy shit moments or hoshimos or hoshimoms. And um, you have had, I think, so many probably throughout your career. But I always think that there's probably always one or two that um, transform sort of our plan. So from the moment you were born and you were like, acting is the thing, you know, was there anything that happened or any one moment that sort of changed your thinking, maybe stopped you from, you know, moving to L.A. and, you know, doing commercials and then getting to film versus what you've done today and, and giving back to the to the teens in the community? Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you asked me that prior to this to just be thinking about because, you know, we don't often sit back and think about that. And it's it's an incredible moment for for all of us to just go, what what was the thing, you know? And I'm just struck uh, by the memory of an amazing acting coach that I had, Laurel Smith-Fouvray, who was here from New York and L.A. teaching. And um, I got in with her right away. Uh, for those in the acting community, she's Meisner-based. She trained with Sanford Meisner, one of the greats. And I remember a class where she looked at me and said, you can stop smiling now. And I just Super thought, strange. that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And I defended, I said- She must be from New York. Yes, yes, definitely. Exactly. That's what I thought. And she said, you know, you you never stop smiling and it's driving me crazy. You have permission to not smile, to not be happy, to not present. And I, her and I got into it at the moment. I was like, that is not at all what I'm about. You know, my mom is a smiler. I'm a smiler. Well, you know, that struck me so deeply because that started the journey of embracing truth. And embracing what you're really feeling and not uh, presenting something that isn't authentic. Um, It changed my whole life. It changed absolutely everything. And I think now what I do is always about the pursuit of truth. And when I go back and I think of a defining moment, it's that moment of permission to be me. Yeah. Did you – so when you had that moment, did did it make you look back – on more than maybe your plan for your career, but maybe your personal life as well? Did it? Did that have an influence beyond the walls of career? It did. And, um, I mean, the, the story gets a little bit, you know, sadder at that point because I realized that I wasn't living authentically with the husband that I was with and mm-hmm. um, one of the greatest men I'll ever get to know. But I wasn't able to be authentic. And um, when I started to be, I just found that um, that that wasn't a truth in my life anymore. And that was a, a very – I knew, though, that if I was going to pursue truth and pursue who I really was and what I really wanted to be doing, um, that I had to make changes that were potentially going to be very destructive to family and friends and indeed were – but looking back now, I mean, I'm not really sure if I would even still be able to be here today if I hadn't done that. Yeah. Uh, not not saying that I'm a proponent of, of destroying marriages in pursuit of truth, but that's what I had to do for myself to, to find truth. Well, and it's probably for your ex-husband as well. I mean, there was probably some truth that he had to come to realization to as well, I would imagine, because it's a it's a couple, right? It's a it's two parts to the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so too. And um, you know, we've stayed friends to this day, and and uh, he lives down the street, and he's an amazing dad. And <laughs> yeah, I just it it all the fears that I thought would happen in in that pursuit of authenticity are not what came to be. You know, there's a great um, study that I read just when you mentioned these fears and they talk about worry and that as as we as humans we worry about so much but they had done some study and again how how exactly true because it's such a personal thing but they said 80% of what we worry about 
actually never comes to fruition or 90%. It was some sort of massive number <laughs> because our, our capability and for imagining the worst is so amazing. But yes. actually what is uh, what is real is much less frightening. So I just laugh because that's that's got to be like closer to 100 percent for me. It's <laughs> right. got to be like everything I worry about. It doesn't come to fruition. Right. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a waste of time. Right. And yeah. the truth is so much easier to embrace. But going back to that truth and because it had such an impact on your life and that pursuit of truth for yourself, you've done and we mentioned it in, in the opening, you've done so much to try to not only live that yourself, but help others live that, especially um, young people who are interested in this industry, in the acting industry. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So during the divorce process, I you know, I went from not working uh, at all to having to work. And so I thought, well, what can I do? I'm an, kind of an actor, and I, could, I know that these things are true, and I could teach. And that brought me into a whole path that I never expected, never dreamt of, never anticipated, sometimes question, <laughs> what am I doing? But, you know, it, it was, it's, it's exactly the place that I'm supposed to be because we, I went from having eight students a week to sometimes 200 a week in the program. And it's all about the pursuit of truth. You know, we, we, we live that as actors, living truthfully in imaginary circumstances. But then we ask that of the kids to live truthfully, authentically in their own lives. And uh, that has engaged, you know, so many wonderful conversations with kids and teens and, and so many life experiences with them that I just didn't know I was going to have. Yeah. you talked, I think you had mentioned that one of the the you know, you've got little tricks to try to engage the kids. And we talked a, a little bit having teens myself, um, just differences of kids now versus then. But you'd mentioned something about a share circle. Oh, yeah. Um, we yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah, a share circle uh, is just a place of truth. And, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in small talk. I go back again to my coach who was like, I don't want to see your smile and see your presentation. I want to see you. So it's an opportunity for us to quiet ourselves. We sit down, we light some candles. Um, and I just say, look, you can tell me what you want to tell me, but I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for what it is today that hurts, not, you know, the little stuff. But what is the the piece in you that that's stuck? Where is it getting stuck? I want to hear that. And I'm not a therapist and I'm, I don't try to pretend like I'm one goodness. But but I think that um, our kids and our teens want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, they want to be seen. And they want to be when they, when they are seen, they want to they want to know that they're OK, mm -hmm. that that what they are, whatever it is in that moment, cutter, uh, you know, drinker, having too much sex, depressed, whatever it is, gay, that they're just they're just allowed to be themselves and to have that pain and to have that moment. And we talk about it and then we check in mm -hmm. later. Like, hey, how's that going? You know, I need to know that this we're on a path of um, of growing out of this mm -hmm. this phase and growing into this next phase. That's it's um, I mean, it's crazy to hear. I mean, did you ever envision as you were thinking about your life, you know, out of the womb, going into acting, now you're doing this, and now you're in share circles where teens are talking about cutting or suicide or promiscuous, whatever it is, whatever no, their vice is. How never. is that? Heavens, no, 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 imagine. no. I never even, you know, I'm like most adults. I was like, oh, they're kids. You know, they're going through their thing. It's, it's just, but, but I've seen and I understand so much more now. And no is the answer. And I didn't really even know that that was what was happening in the program for years later. I mean, we've mm. been doing this now 11 years. Wow. Um, 
I, I until kids started saying to me uh, after they left, you know, oh, that, that was so impactful. That changed my life. Or I'm still close with those kids because because we what we shared, we both lost our mom. We both understand those feelings. You know, I didn't know this. Or I didn't know that the most beautiful girl in class, truly a model, cannot stand to look at herself in the mirror and couldn't say out loud to me, I'm beautiful. She could not physically say that. And and so I think those experiences in those moments like suddenly started waking me up to the fact that this is a thing that they've created. I made space for it, yeah. but they created it. it. I was thinking about when you, we, you spoke that you've been doing this for 11 years. So, okay, so let's do the quick math. So you started this in 08? Yes. Okay. So 08, and I think with the first iPhone came out like 05-ish, 06. Right. Like Nobody had that window, <laughs> Right? So, but I think about just how, and that seems like, it seems like we've all had iPhones or, you know, smartphones forever, but really it's not been that long. And so you yeah. were sort of in that time frame. And my reason for asking is that I can imagine, and I'm interested in your viewpoint about how kids have changed over, from when you started in 08 to today, given that screens have become the dominant feature I know I can speak to my teens' lives in their life, but I have to imagine it's made a big difference in those share circles and the issues that they have. I don't think anybody is quite um, as aware of how detrimental the screens are to our kids um, unless you're directly working with teens. It's beyond anybody's capacity for understanding of what's happening because certainly 10 years ago, 11 years ago, no, yeah, nobody even had a cell phone. They weren't even allowed to get one until they were like 16, right. 17. <laughs> but we went from being able to really communicate, talk, having them engaged, having them listening, answering, face -face. eye contact, face to face, to now I can literally sometimes be giving a passionate speech about something they really care about. And I feel like I'm looking out at a sea of dead eyes. A literal sea of dead eyes. So I do understand that part of my work now is about reaching them through the media, reaching them through messaging and, and content that's that's um, something that they'll they'll watch that way. So we've kind of we're rethinking a lot of what we do. But uh, I tell you, it's it's um, back in 2008. Nobody even talked about kids that had committed suicide. Mm -hmm. I remember maybe 2010. One girl knew someone who did it. Uh, and it rocked our whole community. But now you even bring up suicide, you'll just get the same flat response because they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I know like three people who tried to kill themselves last month. Or I have three friends that successfully killed themselves. Or, That's so disturbing. Absolutely. That it's so absolutely. Disturbing. And it's just shocking when I because I know what it was like, you know, 10, 11 years ago with these kids who didn't that wasn't being talked about. I mean, they're just what it wasn't really as as prevalent in our in our community. Yeah. Do you think and so you think that screens, the screens are making them numb to some of that and, and that emotional expression or that outlet. And so they're holding it in. And or do you what do you ascribe to that? I know you're an armchair psychologist, much like me. Right. But are right, you, right. Right. What are you seeing is, is driving that? And then is it that you think that acting can help them as an outlet Maybe. Well, it's funny you say you're not an armchair. We're just armchair psychologists because it's so true. But when you work in the field with kids, you really feel like you have you have your finger on the pulse of what's what's happening when you're working with so many at one time. And what I'm seeing is that they're never they're not measuring up. They're just not measuring up to all the beauty, all the success, all the pretend, all the filters, all mm. the ways in which they're not 
or you know we're dealing with a lot of bullying so kids do something they post something and they're just getting shut down or they're not getting time after school uh, to download their from their own brain they're not getting the time away from friends away from images away from messaging which we used to get right even right. if you were bullied at school you go home after school you shut down you wouldn't have so much exposure to that but why I think acting is important is because it calls on your imagination mm-hmm. and it calls on you to be and think greatly. And I think that is something that um, that I can provide for the kids. And we don't allow the phones at specific times. Sometimes, like, you know, if they want to make a movie with it or, you know, they'll say, whenever I catch a kid on the phone, they'll say, well, no, it's my mom. Uh, she's just checking on me. I said, I will guarantee you right now your mother is not texting you or expecting you to text back <laughs> in the middle of acting class. Yeah. But um, we, so we try not to have any phones or anything like that allowed. And I just to have that freedom of imagination. And how have you seen with kind of what you've poured into both the share circle um you know, as an outlet and an opportunity for them to really connect together as a group of peers to then kind of taking the next step and actually teaching them the art form and the business of the acting industry. How how has that progression gone? I mean, are, what kind of success rate are you seeing with these kids? And, you know, over 11 years now, you've got a couple of generations of them you can probably look back on. Yeah, one one for sure, the group I started with, you know, because they're a little further along and they're, they're in their early 20s. And gosh, I've got one little gal um, just out of New York. Her name's Jess Barr. She just wrote and made her own film. And she said, well, I just remember an acting class you saying it's about the work. Do the work. Do it yourself if nobody else will do it. So I'm just going to do it myself and got an L.A. director to come up and shoot it for her. Got all the the friends from that class to to brilliant actors to be part of it. Um, I'm seeing kids go on to wonderful programs at NYU, at Harvard, um, USC and pursue. So to be in the pursuit of art, which, like you said, understanding the business side, Mm -hmm. there is it's a 50 50 split to be successful at acting, you know, yeah. um, it's 50-50 to have that business, but you also have that have to have that creativity right. and that imagine, imagination and freedom of imagination. So the work, it's interesting because you've talked about the work that you put in and you've you've spoken about having, you know, teaching the kids how to do the work or yeah. letting them know there are no shortcuts to this. Because I know in this world where everything's digital and everything's at the fingertips, you know, for Google, I can get the answer to just about anything there's a lot of that sense, I think, of, of, of speed, of the immediate gratification that is in younger people. But you teach them that there is no shortcut to the work. And um, you, you shared a story, um, just a, a, one of the, the kids that you'd, you'd helped having to put in the work, that they were in trouble, right. and that there is no shortcut. And have you, are you finding that to be, what does its success look like for you? Are you finding that kind of effort to be a success? Are you, are you seeing success um, in your own, you know, work that you're putting into yourself? Can you can you talk a little bit about the two and the juxtaposition and how you're managing? So I'm sure this is very different than what you had envisioned when you started. <laughs> so yeah, the kids all think that the work means like getting auditions and mm-hmm. getting coached and showing up and looking great and being great. That is not the work that I'm talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, that, that's that's yes, we all love to do that part, yeah. right? That's the good part. It's like the fun part. when you go work out. The fun part is getting in the tight little outfit that you've been wanting to wear and go show it all off. That's the fun part. But the, at the, right. the meters, yeah, the on meter, my, uh, how far you right, walked. Yeah. Right. But the real work is the struggle. 
The real work is when you're laying in a hospital bed because you don't want to live another day in this life or you don't want to take medication that you that your maybe your doctor has has prescribed for you just to get through a day or whatever it might be for a family. The work staying away from cutting or saying no to something. Mm-hmm. That is the work that I'm talking about. That's the hard work of getting to do this this business in this industry. That is what success looks like because the rest of it is just a crapshoot. You know, mm-hmm. we just don't know. And to your point about what does success look like to me? I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I'll just tell you honestly that I really don't know. I mean, it's it's certainly not being on these TV shows or or turning into the director now or any of that stuff because every day it feels like it's just not enough, even for me. But when I'm with those kids and I'm talking to them about just stay with it every single day, make the choice today to stay alive today, make the choice today to pursue greatness, then I have no choice myself but to practice that. So even though I don't know what my success looks like, I mean, I'm sitting here with a, I don't think anybody quite knows how beautiful you are, <laughs> smart, intelligent woman. That's why we're you know, for radio. I love it. So that's no, okay. You can draw no, a better picture. No, right? <laughs> these are lies. These are lies. But I don't know that that looks like success, but I know that like getting up, getting showered, putting on your moisturizer, you know, calling a friend when you're when you're really hurting. I mean, that those are more of the measures that that I kind of see myself, you know, um, relating to. That success is pursuing, being in pursuit of truth, and even when it sucks and it hurts, and you're laid up in a hospital, or you're grounded, or you know, you've got to be honest about something that you haven't been honest about. That that is you being in the pursuit of greatness. And if you're in the pursuit of greatness. Success doesn't matter. Like the measurement doesn't matter. That is the success. That you're constantly in the pursuit that you haven't given up. Right. Love that. It's beautiful. Yeah. So um, before we wrap, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to talk about um, your organization or or anything that you want to add to talk about just helping to promote. Because we spoke a lot about trying to create – I think more awareness of what's happening with teens and so if there's anything that we can add in to add it back in I want to make sure that we get an opportunity to do that plug for you oh thank you yeah yeah I think um something that's missing in the schools is arts you know Mm -hmm. and uh when I was growing up we got to do speech we got to do theater we got to be involved in so many different things I never heard anybody say we got to do speech speech. (laughs) that's why I figured out I liked standing in front of people and like having people laugh was in speech class in Mm -hmm. seventh grade you know um I didn't have an acting community I didn't have an acting class and um the thing that's so special about acting for kids and teens and the studio northwest where we train adults is that people come together with like minds and they come together in acceptance and a non judgmental spirit and just say, let's play and let's let's put everything down. Let's put away all of our, our um, worries and stresses and measurements of success and set our phones down and let's play. And so I feel really grateful to open doors to just about anybody that has that that spirit about them. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, um, I, I love that your you know, you've had those those big holy shit moments and that they still influence you today. Those you know, those people who said you can't and, you know, look, that you stepped over. Is there is there any is there any books we talked about? You know, God, there must be so many more of these. Have you seen a holy shit moment in somebody else? Have you se- I mean, one of the things I think about is that you must with these teens, there must be these moments where 
whether it's in the share circle or whether you're at their bedside someplace, you know, and they're suffering and you say, have you seen it come to them? Have you seen that that sort of that light bulb go on for any of them? I know I have to spur, spur of the moment question for you, but. No, I think so many of them have a moment of recognizing, a, a, a moment of, of hearing. And it's probably something their parent has said or perhaps somebody in their life has said a hundred times. But just there's just a moment where somebody else that you trust and you love and you're in a safe place says it just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And then it's usually followed with tears. Um, what comes to mind is a little gal, gosh, this must have been 10, 11 years ago now, and she was on stage and all she had to do was be the strong good-looking, confident character. And this was not her inner spirit. She was the girl who was very shy and quiet and didn't stand up for herself. And and I kept pressing and pushing and pushing her. And she's like, no, I just want to sit down and I don't want to do it. And I said, you're going to do it. Well, she did it. And she stood up in those lines and she started speaking them with so much strength that tears just started coming out of her eyes, just pouring down her eyes. And when she finished, she looked at me and she said, that felt so good. And I, I remember that feeling, you know, and now I see her all these years later. She's gorgeous and thriving and has this beautiful life in college and you can just see that confidence oozing from her yeah i just want to go back in time and be like girl it's all gonna happen you just stand in your strength and and shout like i deserve to be here and own your truth own your truth find it own it be in pursuit of it just surround yourself with people even if it's not fun to hear because sometimes it's just not I love it. Well, I love that your moment has turned into moments for so many others. So congratulations on the work you do. And thank you so much for thank being you. part of this Thank you for very much for um, making the, their voices heard because I feel like just sitting and having a conversation about mm-hmm. them is them getting, getting to say, we want to be heard, we want to be seen. And I appreciate you making space for oh, that so much. It's, oh, it's my, it's my pleasure. This is a gift for me, too. I love hearing your story. Okay. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.